Good morning. Well, Tuesday is election day, first Tuesday of the no- of November, and uh, if you haven't already, I encourage you to go out and vote on Tuesday. Uh, it's an important duty that we have as citizens of this uh, country. And uh, while uh, the election and voting are important, uh, I'll be honest, I can't wait for uh, Tuesday to be over. <laughs> do, you, do you get me? Uh, the, uh, just the political climate can be so exhausting. I mean, just the way that um, uh, the, the campaigns are run and the politicians, uh, uh, the, the way they treat each other, it just almost like, feels like it weighs on your soul. And uh, I've heard both presidential candidates uh, say that uh, if, the other, if their opponent is elected, it will destroy the country. And I've, heard, and I've heard both presidential candidates say if their opponent is elected, he will, he will be or, uh, or is the worst president in the, in the history of the nation. And just all of the meanness and the nastiness that goes into this, into these elections. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I just feel like I'm ready to be done with it. Uh, Nothing divides like politics. When I'm with my family or friends, and you, you, you probably could be, you probably would say the same thing. Are, Are you very careful in how you approach issues of politics? Because they can get so heated like that, right? You have to be, you have to be very careful. Uh, would you agree with me that nothing divides like politics? They, they used to say uh, two subjects that you uh, want to avoid, and I think even Stephen said this last week, uh, religion and politics. Well, we're going to talk about religion here, and this morning we're going to talk about politics, and I recognize uh, that nothing divides like politics. I wonder what uh, God would say to us if he wanted to um, come and to address a word to us here on the first Sunday of November before uh, Election Tuesday. And, uh, I'm, and I, I'm not going to wade into the waters of, of what my opinion would be on what he would say about a candidate or a political uh, platform or, or a political party. But the one thing I can be confident, and I think this is, a, this is a, an important word for us to hear, but it's actually not an easy word for us to hear. The one thing I think he would address first and foremost uh, for us as a church and for those of us that are followers of Jesus is the area of divisions. And so this morning's sermon, as we go through our Overcomer series, is over, on, uh, on overcoming divisions. And that's going to be crucial for us as we think about the area of politics. I'll admit I'm going to wade into some waters this morning that maybe are not the most comfortable. I may step on some toes, but I, but I recognize sometimes we get our toes stuck in places where they shouldn't be. Sometimes we need toes to be stepped on. And so I'll admit, don't, don't get upset with me this morning. I'm going to try to stick with the scriptures, but I'm going to probably step on some toes. But where I want to start is an area that we should all be able to agree on. Is, and that is in the area of unity and division. I know, uh, I know that this is on God's heart. At the, towards the end of his life, and we have a prayer that Jesus gave. Sometimes it's called the high priest prayer. 
It's recorded in John 17. Uh, the verses will be uh, the verses that I'm going to be looking at on John 17 are in the back of your program. If you're uh, with us here in person, if you're joining us online, they will be uh, on this on the screen. Uh, but first of all, I want to just I'm just picking out a few verses in Jesus's prayer here in John 17, verse one. Jesus prays, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son." that your son may glorify you. And so when, when Jesus says the hour has come, he's speaking about the hour of his death. This is the last, uh, this is the last time, this is towards the last days that he would be on earth. And uh, the first thing he prays is, God, glorify your son. Glorify me that you're, so that I may glorify you. When he says glorify, what it means is, is may I show you for may I show the world who you are? May I shine by the example that I set, that people would recognize your love, your power, your mercy. And how is that going to be done? Well, uh, it's done most clearly as Jesus goes to the cross. He says, "The hour has come. Now glorify yourself, glorify, uh, glorify me." so that I may glorify you. In other words, help me to show others who you are. And then in verse 11, after Jesus has prayed for himself, he now turns and prays for those that are closest to him. His, uh, his disciples, the 12 that are with him, and, then, and those that are following. And this is how he prays for them. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I come, and I, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. You can sense uh, Jesus' compassion, his heart here. He prays, uh, God, I'm, I'm not going to be with them any longer. But those that remain behind, may you protect them. But I think the protection that Jesus is uh, praying for here is not necessarily physical protection. That's oftentimes how we pray. God, protect me physically, protect me financially, protect all my earthly needs. Uh, the reason I don't think it's primarily physical, physical protection is because many of these disciples would go on to not be, quote-unquote, protected physically. I mean, many of them will be martyrs and will die for their faith. But what he's praying is protection from the evil one, from Satan's attacks, and from the, and from the temptations of the world. And the, and the one area that uh, jumps out that he's asking for protection from is uh, protection from division. He says, may they be one. Isn't that interesting that that is what is on Jesus' heart more than anything else at this, in these last hours of his life? We say last words are lasting words. These are important things to Jesus. May they be one, even as we are one. And then uh, verse 20, and this is where I think it really gets interesting for us is he's prayed for himself, and then he's prayed for his disciples. Now he prays for you and me. Now he, uh, he says, I'm going to that would come to believe in the message of my disciples. That's you and me. 
That's those of us, all generations that follow, that would, uh, that would come and uh, place their faith in Jesus. And look at how he prays for them. My prayer, verse 20, my prayer is not for them only. I pray also for those who would believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that cool? Jesus prays for us. And the prayer that he has for us is that we would be united together, that we would be one. And, uh, and, and, he, set, and he reveals like why, part of why that is so important. So that the world may know that you have sent me. You see, it's so f- important for us to stay unified, to stay as uh, one together, because just as Jesus glorified the Son at, uh, in going to the cross, so, so we're going to glorify the Father at, by, by being unified together. In other words, we are going to show who God is and how great God is. We are going to now be God's representatives. We're going to uh, shine like stars, so to speak. We're going to be the ones that stand in contrast to the world. Because as we have already highlighted, there is so much meanness out there, so much nastiness and name-calling, and, and, just, and, there's, and there's just so much divisiveness. If we were to uh, live out Jesus' prayer here, we would stand in stark contrast to what we see all around us. And so Jesus says, this is mission-critical. Our mission is to spread the love of Jesus. It is to do what uh, it says here, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, so that others may believe in Jesus. If this is mission critical, uh, if we are to be God's people, if we are to be God's church and God's representatives, no matter where we are going, then we must be overcomers and we must overcome division. And so you may say, oh, wow, Pastor Corey, that's, that's a great pie-in-the-sky idea. Because uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we're all, uh, if we're able to overcome division and we're all be uh, united? But that is a very ignorant point of view. Because these divisions that we face are nothing that we can just glance over. We can't just say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to bury our head in the sand and... Uh, we, we just won't pay attention to, to uh, those things, and that's the only way we will be united. But that would be great. That'd be wonderful. But that won't, maybe that'll happen on Wednesday uh, after we get past this election cycle. Maybe that'll happen when uh, we can put all of this behind us. But there's no two ways around it. Politics divide. And unless we're going to live in ignorance, unless we're going to ignore our divisions, uh, there's just no way we can be uh, united. And I am going to challenge that train of thought this morning. Because I think that with God's help and with the Scripture's teaching, that we can disagree politically and not whitewash the disagreements that we have. In fact, I'm not even going to challenge us this morning to all come together and agree. I think we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. 
In fact, I think that uh, God gives us a way forward uh, with this. But we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. That's basically the big idea of this sermon, and we're going to flesh out how we do that. But before we get to that, let me just finish off the uh, Jesus' prayer. Verse 23, uh, he says, I in them and you in me. In other words, it is through the help of the Holy Spirit, God in us, so that they may be brought to complete unity, complete unity in all areas, uh, areas that it's hard to have unity, areas even of, of, of the political realm, that we might have complete unity, not complete uh, uh, agreement uh, mentally in what we think, but that we might have complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. Again, here's the mission critical. Then the world uh, will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So again, the two major themes of unity and the love of God. This amazing, unconditional, life, world-transforming love. This is what Jesus prays for. Verse 26, I have made you known to them. This is the last verse in the prayer. I have made you known to them and will continue to make known to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So the two major themes we see here are unity and love. During this election week, candidates for various political offices will win or lose based on how people vote. However, the church wins or loses and really, I believe this community wins or loses, and ultimately the country wins or loses based on how we treat each other and how we love each other. Jesus said earlier in John, in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so here is the big idea of this sermon once more, that we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. So now I want to ask the question, if this is not just some pie-in-the-sky idea, how are we actually going to do that? It's a good question, right? How are we going to do that? How are we going to disagree politically and love unconditionally? One of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, uh, said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Isn't that a good one? He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. When Jesus came into this world, it was a political hotbed. I mean, you could not think of more divisions than what existed in, uh, in, the, in first century Palestine. I mean, there was divisions all over the place. The Jews hated the Romans. The Romans hated the Greeks. Uh, the, the, the Jews were actually living in uh, the area, and they had their own political leaders. But in some, uh, uh, some sense, these were simply puppet heads because the uh, Romans were ultimately in charge, even though they let the Jews keep some of their customs. And the whole societies was built on have and have-nots. So if you're going to think about a, a, a country that's divided, think about a whole region that's div uh, that has every kind of division that you could think of. They had uh, economic divisions, they had uh, educational divisions, class divisions, race divisions, gender divisions. And Jesus came into this world, into a very political world. And what did he do? He set up a kingdom 
Now that's political language. Jesus didn't shy away from the, 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 the divisions and the controversy that were taking place uh, in that world. He stepped into a, uh, into a political hotbed and he made it hotter. Like he came and uh, he kicked over some hornet nests over and over again. In fact, when he was nailed to the cross, what did the sign above his head say? The king of the Jews. He came, so he was, the earthly reason he was crucified was because he was upsetting the political order of that day. The whole system was set up on slavery, and Jesus comes and he teaches that each person has dignity and each person has, uh, and each person has value. The uh, women were treated horribly. It was, with the ministry, uh, it was with the example and the way that Jesus began to interact with people that, that uh, all of these divisions were beginning to be threatened. And so both the Jews and the Romans wanted to get rid of this guy. He was, he was a threat to everything that was going on. He came to set up a new kingdom, not a club. Not a uh, nice band of followers that were just going to kind of uh, uh, give compliments and send out thank you notes. I mean, he didn't set up just a, a new initiative or, or even a movement. He was setting up a kingdom. Now, if we are to, uh, now if we are to call ourselves uh, followers of Jesus, that means that, that we would come and we would swear our allegiance to Jesus as our king, as our, as our ruler first and foremost. And that's important uh, for us to recognize because when we uh, enter into this, as, as we're living in the middle of this political uh, season that will, that's thankfully got a light at the end of the tunnel, but I, I just want to remind us that our allegiance is to Jesus, and that is a greater allegiance than to Donald Trump or Joe Biden or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. And then when our allegiance is to Jesus, then we are called to do what Jesus called us to do and to love. And to love. And to love one another. Okay, now now here, now stick with me here because I feel like I'm trying to build an argument here and this, this next point is crucial. Okay, so now if we are motivated primarily by our desire to love, then that will affect the political party you align with or the way that you cast your vote. Because when, you're, uh, when you walk into the ballot box or when you fill out your ballot and mail it in or however you're going to vote, what you're doing is you are trying to Identify what would be the most loving way for me to vote. And there's lots of uh, things that we're addressing, right? Uh, there are things uh, uh, that we are considering. What is the most loving way to, um, to uh, help the poor? Now, obviously, that's bigger than politics, but this is, a, this is part of what we are considering as we consider who to vote for and what policies to align ourselves with. What would be the